Breaking news. Okay, Sean, so we have some updates in COVID therapeutics to go through. I thought we could start with the sexiest topic first, the one that's certainly uh, in the news a lot, and that's Paxlovid rebound. Actually, do you say Paxlovid or Paxlovid? I say Paxlovid. I think that's a mar- that's a mark of the aristocracy, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, when you say... <laughs> I say it with my pinky pointed up in the air as I drink my cup of tea. <laughs> okay, just checking. Okay, so anyway, um, that certainly is all the talk. What's your assessment? Uh, what do we need to know, Sean? So I think that probably most people who have been listening have heard about this potential concern of what they're calling rebound or recurrence of disease after it. But I think let's just remind everybody what Paxlovid is. So it's really a combination of two different drugs. One's called Nirmat Relvir. I consider that a pretty questionable pronunciation, but okay. And that's the active component. And what it is, is a protease inhibitor. Now everybody's heard about protease inhibitors for HIV. This is very similar. And what it does is it prevents these polyproteins that are in the cell from getting broken down and making more viruses. Okay, I think that's all you need to know about that. But it's also got another drug in it called ritinavir. Ah, much better, much more naturally off the tongue. But it's just used for a drug-drug interaction because it causes the near-mat-relvir levels to be at therapeutic concentrations. Otherwise, we wouldn't see any therapeutic benefit. So Sean, from what I've been able to read on this, the case reports are of people that test positive, and then negative again, and then positive, but nothing too terrible happened to them. They had some of them symptoms again, but none that required hospitalization. So is is this really a big deal? We'll have to be very clear with everybody. These are pre-peer-reviewed case reports that have been published that we can look at. And what they've shown is exactly what you said. You have people that were lab-confirmed either antigen or PCR or both, and symptomatic that got a full five-day course of Paxlovid, and then turned positive and got symptomatic again, anywhere from two to eight days after. But no one got really super sick. No one got hospitalized. No one died. So what do we do with this information? I don't know. I think it's just something to be aware of. I'm sure your patients are going to ask, but maybe it'll give you a little pause not to give this to everybody because the downside, and this is the CDC recommendations, are if they turn positive again, they restart their quarantine and everything all over again. And this might actually lead to a protracted quarantine period that may, may not have happened if they didn't get the Paxlovid. Right. Now, we actually went down the rabbit hole a bit on this one together. You know, this is really interesting stuff. You know, antivirals don't work the same way that most antibacterials work in that they might suppress viral replication for a time But at the end of that, virus might still be existent that can reactivate and that can start multiplying again, right? So this leads us to wonder naturally, hey, should we extend the treatment? How many people are are affected by this? And other than these case reports, we didn't really have any good data. And in fact, the only thing that I've really been able to find, Sean, in an interview with one of the FDA authorities is the figure 1% to 2% of the patients, and that's in the initial study that Pfizer submitted for authorization for the emergency authorization. And that was one to 2% of patients that had this phenomena. And there's not a lot of other information other than that. Yes. Remember that Pfizer not published data was in the Delta variant though. And these are Omicron patients we're talking about. And what makes this really more confounding to me is that they also found this phenomena in patients that received the placebo. 
So they were initially positive, then negative, and then positive again, which leads me to wonder, is this something innate about the virus itself? And so I, I don't know if we really have enough information, but certainly if it only affects 1% to 2% of patients, that wouldn't be justification to extend the duration of therapy, especially considering that there weren't any serious adverse patient outcomes. I agree entirely because this could just be the normal course of the disease in some patients, right? And this is a little bit of a red herring with Paxlovid. Maybe it isn't having anything. And I think, as you said, I think it's a little premature to say whether or not we should extend therapy. We have no data to support that. But again, remember that we have to give that ritinavir to get those therapeutic concentrations. And maybe the people don't have the phenotype to have the cytochrome P450 inhibition to get those therapeutic concentrate, right? There's just a lot of questions here. So I think it's just good that people be aware that this is a possibility. You're going to be asked about it. But really, I don't know that we would change practice terribly based on this right now. So the next thing that we should really talk about, Sean, is now we have results from an Israeli study that just came out that looked at Paxlovid in their most recent surge, which for the most part, I think was Omicron, but We'll get into that in a second, right? And what's so fascinating about this study, to make a long story short, is that they found that it had a very significant effect at decreasing hospitalizations and mortality in patients over 65 with significant risk factors for adverse outcomes with high-risk features. But in the patients that are less than 65, also with high-risk features for bad outcomes, there was no such reduction in mortality or hospitalizations. Very puzzling. Just so people want to know if they want to re look at the study themselves, it's on Research Square. This is a pre-peer-reviewed publication, and it's done out of Israel, as Stuart had said. It's called Oral Nerm uh, Matrelvir and Severe COVID-19 Outcomes During the Omicron Surge. And Stuart summarized it really nicely. They had pretty good numbers. It's a retrospective cohort study done in a very large health system in Israel. There was about 109,000 patients, of which about 43,000 were greater than 65 years of age, 66,000 were between that 40 and 64 year of age, and they all had high-risk features, so they were either randomized to the treatment or they had the cohort that was placebo or no drug other than standard therapy. And what was interesting, they had a mix that some were vaccinated, some were unvaccinated, and some had previous COVID, and some had COVID and previous vaccination. But the real endpoint is there was no benefit seen in the patients that were 40 to 64 years of age. Yeah, and it's just, it's a little bit strange. And when you look at those two graphs next to one another, the dramatic difference in the patients over 65, it's very clear cut with the confidence intervals. And then the lack of a, you know, the complete scatter overlap in the less than 65, it really does make you wonder. Now, there's a whole bunch of issues here. This is retrospective data. We couldn't even find the mean ages between the patient groups. We were looking for that. We don't know if these were confirmed Omicron cases. There might have been some Delta in there, and that might really be influencing the results. So there's a whole bunch of things, but it does give us pause and makes me wonder if we're going to give Paxlovid to lots of patients in that younger age group that really aren't benefiting. And as you say, there might be some significant downside. I'm thinking about resistance, among other things. Yeah. So again, why does this happen? We're not sure. So as we said, they had a surge when they did this. This was in January to March 2022, when Omicron was the predominant one there. There could be a possibility that this older group actually was more Delta because the Pfizer initial data suggested for Delta, it was quite effective. 
The other thing is, and not to get too much into the mechanism of action, but this M-pro, the protease that's inhibited, maybe people as they were older, their M-protease is inhibited more than somebody who is younger. That's just me thinking kind of through the pharmacologic mechanism why that might be, but we really don't know. But it is interesting to see that there seem to be a pretty good decrease of hospitalization, 67%, and death, 81%, in that greater than 65 age range, but really no difference in the other group. So again, this is really preliminary data, and it gives us a little pause. The suggestion probably is that we don't need to be giving Paxlovid to as many people as we currently probably are, but we would be loath to make the recommendation not to give it in patients under 65, especially if they have very significant risk, because again, uh, we got more questions than we do answers about this preliminary data. So that's what I, I would say at this point. So remember, the thing with Paxlovid was that it was kind of that Goldilocks phenomena where the patients that we really think would benefit, the ones with all these high-risk features, are often the ones that are on medications that are contraindications. That's the whole catch-22. And so interactions are the big thing. And it's a huge discussion. And one thing that we wanted to mention was there's a great resource online from the University of Liverpool. You know some Liverpudlians, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. And uh, there's this great resource, this great uh, drug interaction resource for COVID drugs. And basically, you plug in whatever COVID therapeutic you're looking at, whether it's a vaccine or whether it's a monoclonal antibody or Paxlovid, and whatever medications the patient might be on that you're concerned about. And it gives you a very clear-cut green, orange, red classification answer. You can combine several medications and get a printout. It's just fabulous. So we have the uh, address for that on the show notes. The drug-drug interactions are quite significant here. So a shout out to the Mersey River folks out there in Liverpool, at the University of Liverpool. So I would definitely make sure that you do your due diligence looking for the drug-drug interactions with this one. And remember, if you are prescribing Paxlovid, it has a different dosing for patients with decreased renal function. And of course, if they have no renal function, you shouldn't be prescribing this at all. If their estimated GFR is 60 to 30, that's when you use that dose adjustment. If it's below 30, you don't use this drug at all. And lastly, we should mention that the monoclonal antibodies, you know, they sort of come and go because the variants seem to jump away from them and escape them, if that's one way to say it. And uh, we do have one monoclonal that is still working against the most recent Omicron. Did you want to try to pronounce that one? Yeah, so it's Bebtelovimab, and we think it works. There's in vitro data to suggest that it works against the Omicron variant. It is the only uh, MAB that's in the United States that has emergency use authorization against Omicron. The other ones no longer have emergency use authorization. And these are for people that are 12 years and older, greater than 40 kilograms. What's nice about it, it is a single IV dose, 175 milligrams that's given over 30 seconds. The indications are very much the same as Paxlovid, which is somebody who has mild to moderate disease, not hospitalized, but at high risk for complications. Yeah, basically, this is for a patient that has a contraindication, a hard contraindication to Paxlovid, right? Yeah, but we just don't know. The MAVs really haven't panned out, in my opinion. So just an alternative that people should be aware of. If you have a patient that is not a Paxlovid candidate, this might be another therapy to consider. 
All righty, Sean, thank you very much. Here's a quick summary of our COVID therapeutics update. Number one, Paxlovid or Paxlovid, you choose. Be aware that there are some patients that are experiencing a rebound where they become symptomatic and start testing positive after a resolution of their symptoms and their test with the Paxlovid course. There's not been any change in the recommendations of when to give Paxlovid, but it does give us pause. And there's also some question about how efficacious the drug is in younger patients with risk factors, those under 65. Paxlovid needs to be given in reduced dose in renal failure and always check for the drug interactions before you prescribe this. It's contraindicated with a lot of drugs. And lastly, another treatment option in patients that can't take Paxlovid, bevtilovimab is a monoclonal that still might be effective in Omicron. And that's a wrap. 